mama She never was around But she grew up tall And she grew up right With them Indiana boys On an Indiana night I'm your host, James Simpson, joined once again by the star of the show, Mr. Rene Dupree. Rene, how are you doing today? Good day, sir. I'm good. Did you have a nice uh, American Thanksgiving, or did you skip that in Canada? No, James, we have our own Thanksgiving in September. That's right, yeah. October, yeah. I got like three or four messages from Americans wishing me a happy Thanksgiving. I mean, I appreciate the gesture, but I'm Canadian. <laughs> we just don't celebrate it at all. <laughs> right? So, uh, everyone tuning in, thanks for tuning in. And yeah, please uh, keep supporting the channel. Uh, subscribers is going up. And uh, yeah, it's really appreciated. And because of that, we put the poll out on Twitter this week uh, for you to choose a subject. And it was between... Renee talking about John Cena, uh, Renee's time in ECW and Grand Prix Wrestling. But the uh, topic that did top the list was uh, Chris Benoit. And uh, this is going to be an emotional topic. And obviously, Renee knew Chris really well. And it's something me and Renee hasn't really spoken about in, in all the shows what we've done. So we thought we'll do a deep dive and uh, go through it. But uh, Chris Benoit, Renee, when was you first? aware of him when you first knew about him like as a fan yeah or in general like when you heard his name mentioned i mean did your father mention him at all no no <clears throat> first time i ever saw him was on wcw right I, and um you could tell he fucking he was great yeah you know i mean well it's all that uh new japan dojo training right hmm Plus, he was a fan. Plus, he started in Stampede out in Calgary. So, anybody that came out of Calgary is usually pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. But definitely the New Japan, Japanese-style training. Like, I, if I'm in a ring with a guy, I can tell where he trained. Like, if he trained in Japan, I can automatically tell. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, growing up, uh, he mentioned, well, he idolized both dynamite which obviously you know yourself you're a big fan of dynamite yeah. and obviously yeah. he idolized brett which we all do um <laughs> you, you know i've got my statue to one side <laughs> under construction and yeah you mentioned he trained in the dungeon under the hats did um, your father and grumpy wrestling have much of a relationship with Stu hat and uh, stampede at all oh yeah 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 my dad worked for Stu for years and at one point we would get the stamp, like, this is before I was in Bournemouth. When my dad first started promoting, he would get the tapes from Stu, the Stampede tapes, and air them out here on the East Coast. Because we exchanged a lot of talent, right? Back and forth. Yeah. Uh, and my did dad ever, was, hmm? Sorry, did you ever work in Stampede then, or near that territory? They weren't around. They were out of business by then. Matter right. of fact, I was supposed to go out west when I did that tryout in 2002, the WWE. Um, 
if that wasn't going to work out, I was already booked on what we call a death tour. Mm. It's basically where you drive 16 hours over frozen lakes in the middle of the woods and you go on like uh, Native American reserves. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. I was booked on one of those, but the trial paid off and I got hired with WWF. So, yeah. I've, I've heard of them death tours and uh, I think Brett once wrote about it in his book and I forgot which brother it was who drove. I don't know if it was uh, possibly Wayne. Uh-huh. And I don't know if Andre, Andre Giant was in the motor with him, in the tr- uh, fan with him. But I think after the fan, because I think they've done death tours, but I think there was one story where Wayne apparently was meant to drive Andre to the airport. And when they arrived to the airport, Andre wanted to kill Wayne because he was driving like a madman. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. But. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned Benoit, New Japan, um, and he was known as Pegasus Kid, and unbelievable matches he was having and wrestling in the Super Juniors. That yeah. led to him going to WCW, where he had a great stint in WCW, put some great matches. And one of the angles, what he did do, I can't say it was an angle, it was an accident, but he broke Sabu's neck, and they nicknamed him the Crippler. And you've got a good friendship with uh, Sabu. Did Sabu ever talk about this time when Benoit accidentally broke his neck. Yeah, he doesn't like, he never liked Chris. No? No. He injured him twice, actually. He injured him once in Japan, too. I think it was his shoulder, dislocated his shoulder. Right. And then, uh, yeah, broke. that was an ECW, right? Broke his neck. Yes. But first time Sabu ever took a painkiller was through Benoit. Right. Yeah. So Benoit introduced them to the to the painkillers. Right? I'm sure not by like being malicious. Should I help the guy out? Those painkillers, man. Oof. We should do an episode just on the fucking effects of painkillers on the industry. Oh, we will. I mean, yeah. uh, I would imagine this episode's gonna do well, but going forward, and if the you know the feedback from fans, like when after you listen to this, everyone, please leave your comments in the comment section and particular topics you would like us to go forward with but painkillers and the effects of it that would be an interesting story going forward um mm. that's crazy to think though with sabu because obviously he's wrestled in fmw and death matches exploding barbed wire and that and this spot with ben well obviously it's dangerous the guy broke his neck but it's crazy for years before all this this was the thing that led him towards painkillers right well no it was a match yeah if it was Chris, but yeah, it must have been in New Japan. Right. Where he dislocated his shoulder, right? But I mean, Japanese style is very physical, extremely physical. Like a lot of, uh, like some of these WWE lifers, they couldn't hack it, dude. Oh. I'm not going to mention anybody's name, Randy Orton, but a lot of guys would not be able to fucking, you know, hack it. Right? <laughs> <laughs> It's crazy as well because I'm a massive RKO fan as well, but <laughs> never mind. <laughs> I'll, be, I'll be impartial on this. But uh, but yeah, he had a great run in ECW and he also formed the uh, triple threat with uh, Shane Douglas and Dean Malenko. And there was big plans for Benoit going forward because Paul Heyman's original plans was to make Benoit the top heel of the company and they was going to put the belt on him. But the reason Benoit left, and I only learned this myself recently, I thought it was because WCW poached him, but it was because visa issues. Heyman forgot to sort out Benoit's visa, so uh, Benoit was forced to leave. And 
obviously went back to New Japan. And at the time, New Japan and WCW had this working relationship, this yeah. talent exchange. That led him to join WCW. And, I mean, he near enough became a member of the Four Horsemen pretty early on, which was a big deal. And growing up in Canada, and you've seen so many Canadian wrestlers have success, how did it feel seeing Benoit, fellow Canadian, having this success so early on in his career? I don't know if I even realized he was Canadian until like halfway through his WCW run, right? Right. Realize it. But then when I found out he was Canadian, I was like, shit. We got a lot of good wrestlers up here. Right? Yes. Really good. But um, first time I met him was in 2002. Um, it was in Heartland Wrestling Association, HWA in Cincinnati. They used to be a developmental. So I just wanted, they had like their own little tape room where guys would go and watch matches and stuff. And then I walked in and then I didn't even recognize him at first. And then I, shit. First thing I noticed is he, he had like a blank expression at all times. You couldn't read him. You know? Right. Very serious. You know? Yeah. No, that was the first time I met him. And uh, obviously during his time in WCW, that's why he done the angle Kevin Sullivan and with Nancy. And obviously <laughs> that led to him and Nancy having a real life affair. I mean, it's been famously coined that Kevin Sullivan booked his own divorce. And um, some of the matches they had were pretty hard hitting, but Ben Webb, like in his uh, autobiography and in his DVD, Hard Knocks, which... It's hard for people to go back and watch it, but it's a great DVD, Hard Knocks. This is not long after he won the world title. Um, he said that Kevin would, didn't take any liberties. He, he stayed professional even after what happened between them. Wow. There's an old saying in wrestling, never uh, never bring your girlfriend inside or wife inside the business because mm. it won't last. I'll no longer be your wife or girlfriend. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and had a great career in WCW. Uh, became the world champion, but he left the day after. So WCW uh, said that he didn't. But WWE, interestingly, still got listed that he was world champion WCW, which I found recently. But he joined WWE, great success. And you met, mentioned you met him in 2002 in Heartland. And obviously you had a stint in OVW as well. Did he ever come down towards OVW? Because I know that yes. a few of them did, yeah. I think he replaced somebody or they ran an angle with him and Doug Basham. Right. And oh, yes, they did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I met him. He, yeah. I remember when I was in Cincinnati, I'd actually got knocked out all my four teeth on the ring post. I did a dive and knocked all my teeth out. Right. So they put in partials, right? Because I had to wait, wait till they healed to put in permanent. So I had to, you know how he was missing a tooth, right? That's right. So, so uh, we were backstage before the show started, and I went ran up to him and said, "Hey, Chris, I got this great idea." And I pull out my teeth. We can be the toothless Canadians. We'll start a tag team. And he started laughing, which he, it was hard to like. He never had emotion, right? So he just bursted out laughing. Uh, yeah. Then, um, and I remember seeing him. At Six Flags. I think he came another time because somebody, not going to mention names, Randy Orton, uh, didn't show up for the show. And he was the replacement. And I remember 
looking at his just because he was there with his you know in his tights or whatever and i just remember looking at his body like how the fuck does anybody build that much mass and be that cut yeah he didn't look real like he looked like he could have stepped on a, a bodybuilding contest like right then and there he was so lean he had veins coming out of his back and just muscle on muscle and just fucking insane he was famous for doing them Hindu squats. Did he ever get you to do them? Was that? He was famous for doing Hindu squats. Did he ever get you that, to do them? Japanese training, yeah. I never did it with him, though. No. You had a bunch of guys, a bunch of fucking, you know, ass kissers trying to keep up with them, right? But I never, no, I never did the Hindu squats with him. Uh, I've had a pretty brutal today. <laughs> oh, shit. Some of those New Japan and Noah boys, uh, Noah guys, uh, nowadays they don't do as much. I think they realize that it screws up your knees and hips mm. too much. But I think the New Japan boys still do a thousand a day. Yeah. Insane. And uh, during this time, obviously you're in the main roster now, Raw, with Sly as La Resistance. Uh, but he's on SmackDown. But did you ever cross paths while you were on separate brands, like on the pay-per-views or house shows yeah uh worked uh, a couple battle royals with them we were scheduled to do one singles match but at the last second event this that's when i first debuted the uh sheriff quincy Whitell mustache yeah and i remember Vince, because it was supposed to be me and him on like a velocity or something. Right. And Vince came in and he looked at me and goes, then he went to one of the writers. It was like, who's this match showcasing? And they said, Benoit. And then he said, scrap it right there. He wanted me to get a win. Because it was a new, it was a new, yeah. you know, I invested, fuck. Those robes I had were like $5,000 a piece. And wow. Yeah, I was fuck. I was about two eighty five ripped then, you know. <laughs> so when Vince seen that, he was like, "No, it's showcase Renee." You know. So, but, you have uh, any of them? You have any of your robes left? I my my mother actually called me. She had found one in their attic, the red one. Oh, nice! I still got one of the uh, one of the pay per views. I made one specifically, the Great American Bash. I made like a cloak with the French flag. Yeah, yes, yes I got Nice. Yeah. And um, 2004 Royal Rumble, which uh, you was a part of, also that was the night Chris Benoit entered number one and went the distance and won the whole thing. So. How you mentioned, and I would imagine all Canadians are proud whenever they see a fellow Canadian do it. But obviously, at this point, you know more about Benoit. You've interacted with him, and you could say he was a bit of an inspiration because he was such a great wrestler. How did it feel for yourself when you saw Benoit win the Royal Rumble that night? Yeah, it was cool. I'll tell you what moment was cooler was when remember the singles match. I think it might have been a Royal Rumble. Was, uh, yes. Yeah, before, yeah. Oh, three, yeah. Holy fuck. After the match, I think uh, Kurt Angle won. 
But after the match, Benoit just stood in the ring and the place was sold out. So 15,000 people are giving him a standing ovation. Yeah. Those moments like that, they make you feel proud of what you do. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. That was going, going, back, going back about Benoit. My first dark match was in Columbus, Ohio, right? That's when uh, the office just wanted, because I was still in OBW. Just, I just turned 19, but the office wanted to see what I looked like in the ring. And I, my dark match was against um, Chris Canyon. So I remember asking Benoit if he could watch my match, right? So he, when we did the match, I was, you know, and I go ask him, hey man, what'd you think? Any, you know, any tips? He's like, yeah, man. He's very soft-spoken, but then he just went off. He's like, when you get the heat, you gotta kill him. You gotta kill him. You gotta make him pay. You gotta kill him. And then, like, just like that, he was like, but I wasn't that good when I was your age. So that freaked me out. How he just fucking switched gears like that and went to this fucking, you know what I mean? And when his face, when he was trying to explain to me how you're supposed to kill him. (laughs) Ah! intensity dude the guy could switch like, like that yeah um I, I don't know you're probably aware insane clown posse and uh played in stints in wwe east w and w uh wwf and uh they was asked about benoit and uh i forgot the name guy's names individually but he said one way to describe benoit intense he said if you looked at intense in the dictionary there should be a picture of benoit he right. said, "Whenever he said I was scared of Benoit every time I was there because he was so intense." Yeah, yeah, he was different. He was different. Yeah. And uh, his biggest moment, you could say, and obviously this is the night uh, we've spoke about previously, WrestleMania 20, MSG, and that's the night he defeated not only Shawn Michaels but Triple H in that Triple Threat match. He made Triple H tap out and became the world champion, and obviously. It's so sad because of what's happened to both guys since, and obviously with what's happened somewhere specifically, it's hard to look at this moment, but when him and Eddie's sharing the ring, both world champions at night, crying in the ring, hugging, obviously you're a massive Eddie fan, we know, and obviously at this point, Benoit, uh, what was your memories of this moment? Very emotional, right? Yeah. Yeah. Because you know how hard the guys worked for it their whole lives, right? Mm. It's sad because, like, a year later, was it a year later, Benoit, uh, Eddie died? Yeah, pretty much. About a year and a half later, yeah. And then three years or less, about three years later, Benoit, you know? Yeah. Fuck. It's crazy, man. What was their feedback from the locker room when both of them became the world champion? Because there was some, uh, for example, Kevin Nash said he felt like the business started going down when them two guys became champion because he he called he labeled them the vanilla midgets because they was smaller guys uh, even though the two of them could kick kevin nash's ass and i'm a kevin I, nash fan but that's safe to say they would kill him in the ring but right. what was the reaction from the locker room when the two because these two men at the time were so respected hmm they didn't really feel anything but there's yeah. always going to be haters man there's always going to be haters. There's going to be people happy for you, but there's going to be more haters. You know what I mean? And 
Because there's so much jealousy in wrestling, right? Yeah. But no one can deny that they didn't work their asses off to get there. Oh, no. Right. And not long after this, you got drafted to SmackDown while Benoit was the champion of Raw. In Mm. hindsight, you reckon you're... Like, you had a great SmackDown run, and we've we've gone into it in detail, you know, having feuds with John Cena for the US title main event and shows around the US, and obviously you had your tag team partnership with Suzuki, but do you reckon, because you mentioned the locker room, uh, the backstage bullying, what happened, do you think had Ben been part of the SmackDown brand, that, that would have made your life a little bit easier on the SmackDown brand, do you think? No. No? No. No, because there's a hierarchy, right? And I wasn't in favor with the highest of the hierarchy. They just wanted to test you, right? Looking back now, just supposed to be a test. But don't forget, my mother was diagnosed with breast cancer that year. I found out like right at the beginning of my run with Cena. So as a 20-year-old kid, that's hard to deal with. You know, mm-hmm. I don't come from a broken home. I come from a very close family. So yeah. and don't forget, majority of the guys, they get to go fly home to their families. I can't. Right. I don't get to go home to Canada every week. I'm lucky to go there once a year if I'm lucky, right? Yeah. So the job itself is stressful. You know, <clears throat> Just the wrestling every night and keeping yourself in shape and dealing with the backstage bullshit. Then you have to put in like saving your money and paying your taxes, which a lot of guys don't do and regret it. Hmm. And you have to deal with your mother's health. Who? It's almost like I think a mother has like a a sixth sense when she knows that her son is in trouble. Yeah, I find that. I think a mother has that. Sense. Yeah. Right. Yeah. They had this feeling, so I don't know. That might have contributed to her, you know, not being as healthy, not eating as healthy, not sleeping as well, being stressed out. I think stress is the number one factor in all disease. Yes. I'm a big, big uh, believer of that. So, but yeah, back to Benoit. Yeah, and uh, he had a good run with the title, like we mentioned. One at main, yeah, defended on pay per view against the likes of, uh, well, Triple H and uh, J- uh, what Shawn Michaels again, defended it in a underrated match against Kane at Bad Blood uh, 2004, which I really enjoyed, and um, defended against Triple H once again. But then SummerSlam, Toronto, uh, Bizarro World, as the WWE labels it, uh, lost against Orton. Uh, what did you make to his run as world champion, Benoit? And I, I would imagine he was a locker room leader at the time. Who, Benoit? Yeah. He was respected, but he was not a leader. Yeah. Shawn Michaels, Hunter, Taker, Bradshaw, fuckface. Mm. The ones who are closest with Vince, right? Yeah. Yeah. Those are the leaders. And they're appointed by the boss you understand yeah yeah and uh 
Never became champion, a world champion again after this, uh, which was surprising because he was so over and the fans loved him so much. Uh, but we did mention it earlier, Eddie passing away and everyone ever since said this took such a big effect towards Benoit and the way Benoit went forward. And they'd done the tribute show where visibly Benoit basically just broke down on camera. Mm-hmm. Um, you've mentioned yourself that like, you was obviously upset when Eddie died, but did you notice a difference yourself in Benoit before and after uh, before and after Eddie passed away? He didn't want to work there anymore. No? No. I remember hearing rumblings that he was trying to go back to New Japan. I know he wanted to get the fuck out. I remember almost setting up a deal. <clears throat> I talked to Vince about it, and then Johnny Ace said, talk to me about it, about making my dad's territory a developmental territory. Right. And uh, I remember telling that to Benoit, and like, he looked me right in the eyes with this desperation. He's like, man, I'll do anything. I'll do anything, man. I'll do personal appearances. Just, just fuck, yeah, that'd be great. Well, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He did not want to work anymore. But here's the thing. You put yourself in a final, financial position, there's no way you can keep wrestling and take care of your bills and your uh, quality of life that you've built for yourself working there, right? like standard of living you understand because okay you buy this because you saw his house right yeah beautiful home now, how much mm-hmm. does it cost to maintain that fucking thing and the property That's tax all that shit, right yeah a lot yeah but uh, that's the first time i heard that to be honest renee far he wanted to leave oh. after that. that's the first time i've heard of it yeah 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 I remember telling him when Eddie died, you might remember this. Remember there was an online, Vince McMahon had an online like group meeting as soon as the, the news got uh, uh, brought to attention that Eddie had died. Yeah, I'm aware of it. Yeah. Going, going forward, we're going to have stringent drug, te- uh, drug test. Medium, it was online, right? I didn't have to hear it from him. I'm not going to sugarcoat shit. I've dabbled with PEDs in my day. Everything I had went directly to the garbage as soon as I heard. I didn't have to hear it from, from Vince. I was done. Yeah. Because I, I knew exactly what happened. You know? Yeah. 38-year-olds don't drop dead of heart attacks naturally. Oh. Um... And he was so in shape, Eddie. I mean... He was, he but was, he wasn't. Yeah, yeah. He looked great. He looked yeah. great. I hear these podcasts like Bruce Pritchard saying, oh, how would we know? He's such phenomenal athlete, such phenomenal... Dude, there was, there was a match in particular against uh, Kurt Angle. It was a, single, it was a lumberjack match. I was, uh, I was one of the lumberjacks, right? Eddie couldn't even fucking bounce off the ropes. Yeah. He was so gassed and blown up and just weak and the head was spinning. You know, that's, that's what pisses me off when I hear these fucking 
administrators, these fucking people in administration, just feeding these lines of bullshit. Mm. You know what I mean? Oh, it pisses me off because the truth is, no, he he looked great, but ninety nine percent of the time, you see these bodybuilders on these magazines, and they look mm. phenomenal. They're usually like the poorest health ever. Yeah, they starve themselves. And they take massive amounts of fucking narcotics to look like that, and diuretics and all this other shit. Yeah. This year alone, I know you're probably not into the big, like, into the fitness industry and stuff, but this year alone, there's been over half a dozen bodybuilders die of heart attacks. Wow. Uh, 50 and under already this year. Wow. What was it? One was Sean Roden. He won the, the Mr. Olympia bodybuilding contest yeah. a couple years ago. Yeah, I had that. I had that, yeah. Drubs dead. One guy was competing in the Olympia, uh, a black gentleman, and uh, it was the day before the show. Drops dead in his hotel room. Oh. It's fucked up. And for what? For what? Mm. A twenty dollar yeah. fucking trophy? Yeah, it's crazy. And uh, after this, uh, Benoit took some time off. He took a few months off to um, sort out some nagging injuries and stuff. I uh, came back programmed in the u.s title pitch uh, had a feud with uh, mvp uh, booker t and such and then uh, got traded to uh, ecw and the plans going forward stephanie mcmahon mentioned it in an interview that they was sticking the title on him uh, i spoke to the pope uh, elijah burke who was Bernard's very last opponent and i asked elijah burke i said i don't know if you could say i said but did you notice anything he went no he said he was normal. He said, the only thing I noticed, he said, that when I was in the ring with Benoit, Benoit would just keep saying, talk to me. He said, but I thought that was normal because he just wanted me to tell him what moves we were doing and such. But, uh, he said, talk to me. And, uh, but that was it. But he said, beside that, he said, Chris was fine. And, and that coming weekend, he was scheduled to face CM Punk for the ECW title at Vengeance. And apparently before and he phoned wwe up to say that nancy and daniel was sick he had food poisoning he never showed up at the pay-per-view so johnny nitro was brought in as a replacement and he defeated punk to become ecw champion day after the police investigated benoit's home because wwe which i didn't realize this too looking back wwe was the one who actually made a call to, to the police for a welfare check on benoit and his family yeah and obviously they found Benoit and Nancy and Daniel. So before we go into when we find out what happened, what was you? Because was you back in OVW for a stint, or was you on the CW brand at this time when you found out Benoit died? I had just got out of the uh, rehabilitation center, okay. and I was on my way. No, you know who told me. I was in the gym lifting weights in Florida. Right. Simon Dean, Mike Bucci. Oh, right. I remember I was doing shoulder presses. And uh, he came up to me. He's like, oh, you didn't hear? I'm like, hear what? They found Benoit, Nancy, and uh, Daniel all dead. I'm like, what the fuck? And then I remember driving. I had to drive to a show, right? It was like a local FCW show they were doing back then, right? And the counselor from the Atlanta rehab called me up. Talk about it. 
And I was too concentrating on getting to the show to set up the ring. I was like, yeah, man, I can't talk about it. I, got I was too concentrating back and obsessing over wrestling again. That I didn't take the time to fucking over the last three or four months of. Because like when you're in those groups or those establishments, you, you're in groups eight hours a day talking about shit, right? Getting it out. <clears throat> so I had thought about it afterwards. It's like, shit. Instead of taking the time, pulling over my car and talking about this, I was too concentrating on not being late to the show so I could set up the ring. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I think Stephen Richards in the interview, when they were told that Benoit died and his family died, I think it was Val Venus that came up to him. And Stevie Richards didn't believe at first because both him and Val was into like conspiracy theories. Well, Val was supposed to have gone up to Stevie and say, I heard that Benoit was the one who actually done it. So the night after everyone found out, uh, they'd done the tribute show to Benoit. And, but then we started hearing the news a few weeks after. And when you heard what took place and what happened, mm. how devastating was that to find out? Because obviously... You've worked with Benoit for a few years now. He's one of the greatest in-ring wrestlers of all time. That's just a fact. And for this to happen, this basically made you leave WWE. But what was your reaction when you first found out these details? What really got me was watching on TV. And again, after going through four months of a program where it's all about letting the truth out. It's a truth-based program, faith-based program, where, you know, they constantly tell you that, you know, if things in life happen for a reason, you know, you got to follow the signs in life. The one person you can believe it was on those talk shows and stuff. I think it was... Uh, might have been Dateline NBC or might have been a CNN. The one person you can believe was Michael Benoit. When he says he was talking with his son and the subject of steroids came up. He said, Chris, why don't you just get off the stuff? And he said, Dad, if I get off it, I'll lose my job. And wow. that's how we all felt. Because there's such peer pressure to look abnormally large, abnormally ripped, for women's to be abnor uh, abnormally thin, and you'll be mocked. I have known so many men and women who developed eating disorders after working in that fucking place. Do you remember the Piggy James? Yes. Hmm? And it's not like that she's a she's camera. A that was on camera. That was on camera. She's a gorgeous woman as well. Where the fucking chairman is degrading people and making fun of them, humiliating them backstage because they have a little bit of extra body fat. <sighs> and for what? You're killing yourself for what? To appease that motherfucker? No. Sorry. The subject comes up, you just you just touched a nerve, you know? Go for it. Um, you know we're no filter, but yeah, um, sad to hear. Um, 
massive Ben Wah fan growing up. People knows that, and I can still go back and watch his matches because tragedy didn't happen towards obviously the end of his life. So I can go back and watch match his matches. I know a lot of people can't, but I can. And it was just horrible to hear when I heard about it. I was like, wow, it's just impossible to believe. And Chris Nowinski requested to have a look at his brain. Yeah. And diagnosed it. He said he had the same, his brain was the same as an 85 year old Alzheimer's patient. Yep. And there's, there was, and there's been so many NFL players as well that suffered from concussion. There's been so many wrestlers, James. Let me, this is another exclusive that nobody talks about because nobody knows about it. Remember that lawsuit a few years ago against the WWF? Do you realize that close to 50% of the people around that lawsuit are now deceased? Yeah, that's, yeah. yeah. Crazy. Do you know that a lot of those guys have gotten tested post-mortem for CTE? Mm. You don't hear about it, right? It wasn't by Chris Nowinski. Why? Because Chris Nowinski is bought and paid for by the WWE to not test the brains. Right. You know who did test those brains? Dr. Amalu, the guy in the movie Concussion that Will Smith plays. Right. Rex King had stage five CTE. Uh, uh, Mr. Fuji, they found the CTE in his spinal cord. Um, Did you see Dynamite Kid his last days? Do you think he didn't uh, have that disease? Um, yeah. So for a young wrestler getting into the business now, just realize... The, the, the long-term effects of what we do. <laughs> the truth needs to go out there, man. It's the truth. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, hopefully after everyone listens to the show, people will find out the truth. Um, but two last things regarding Benoit. Uh, what do you think his legacy in wrestling is now? Do you think he'll be remembered? No, he won't. No, it won't. No. no. OJ Simpson's uh, legacy in football. Does it exist? No. No. There's been a, there, was another, there was another murder-suicide that nobody talks about. The Rock and Rebel from the old ECW wrestler. Hmm. Yeah. He shot and killed his wife and pulled the gun on himself in New York, I think. It's a few years back. Nobody talks about that. Sad, isn't it? Very yeah. sad. Um, like Benoit put his body through these years and years of wrestling, and um, obviously, and we're not saying he's completely innocent. What happened at the end? Because obviously, he was the one who done it. But obviously, the things what led up to this point, all the chair shots, the concussions, played a big part in what happened towards the end. And I, final question, but I think I know what the answer is going to be. Do you see him being in WWE Hall of Fame one day? I think it's absolutely you won't be. No way. Nah. Fuck no. They won't put Pete Rose in the Baseball Hall of Fame because he gambled. Nah. They're all about look. They 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 uh, erase Ric Flair. Mm. Because of the incident. But that was an incident that they put on one of their little cartoon shows. Like, yeah. like, <laughs> like, like it was a great story. Like it was a funny story. Yeah. 
They can't risk bad publicity on anything. No, especially these days, uh, publicly traded company. So, uh, yeah. no, but that was Chris West. So, before we sign out, what would you say was your favorite memory of Benoit, your favorite interaction with him? Just to put a light note towards the end of this episode, I suppose you could say. I regret not trying to get him to know him better. Mm. You know? Probably uh, being in the ring at the Royal Rumble, him chopping me and telling me, God damn, that was a great sell. well everyone uh, thanks for tuning in I hope you enjoyed I know this was going to be a uh, emotional episode uh, but you voted for it so hopefully you enjoyed it and if you want more of these deep dives instead of just weekly wrestling news because outside of New Japan and Noah a lot of today's wrestling is pretty boring Renee Um, I agree it's shite it's shite mate Oh, that's it. <laughs> um, but yeah, if you want us to do more of these topics, uh, leave your comments, your suggestions in the comments section, and we'll put a poll up on Twitter. We'll, I'll probably put a, a post it on a sh- Wednesday. Um, but yeah, also, um, I forgot to mention in the last episode that uh, Renee's, we've got some merchandise for this uh, podcast. Uh, Renee's got some 8x10s, uh, all in US dollars. Uh, I'll put the prices down and the uh, links in the description to what, where you can find the uh, pictures and such and yeah and if you want to follow the channel on social media you can follow us on twitter at cafe day renee and same with instagram and the facebook group cafe day renee and uh renee uh where can they find you on twitter is it real renee dupree still uh i believe so uh i think so <laughs> oh. <laughs> it's been- i'm on instagram i'm on instagram i didn't even realize it till last week but I'm there. Am I? Right, I'm Are you? <laughs> Cafe Renee, didn't, isn't that what you told me? I'm on Instagram. Oh right, I thought you had a, I thought you had a personal Instagram. <laughs> I don't know. No. no, I ain't got time for that. Ain't nobody got time for that. Nobody got time for that. I'm surprised not. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but no, but yeah, thanks everyone, thanks for tuning in, and yeah, uh, please like, comment, subscribe, and uh, support the channel, and yeah, uh, we'll catch you in the next one. Bye. Bonsoir.